My name is Rob, pastor here at Capital Press Fairfax. We're glad that you're with us this morning. I'm going to let the crew get off the stage here. Um, Matt has chatted about it. He's prayed about it. A lot going on in our lives, in our world. Um, We look at the headlines. We see what's going on in Afghanistan. For many of us, that causes heartache because we ourselves or those we love have invested so much in that country. Our heartaches because we know what our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ face over there. Um, For some of us, our heart breaks because of what we see going on in Haiti, uh, having spent some time in that country and having friends in that country, knowing what they faced with the devastation from the earthquake um, and tropical storm. And those are just headlines, right? Each of us have our own personal stories, our own personal narratives. For many of us, school has started or is starting this week. Um, some of us have job issues going on. Some of us have health concerns. Um, for some of us, the most significant conflict in our life was kicked off this morning on the way to church, right? Like it involved a diaper bag, maybe a lost shoe. uh, And it's not even over. Like you're here with kind of an unsteady truce. You're not sure how it's gonna go once the service is over. Uh, Many of us have been there before, but in, in, in the midst of all this, we turn to this ancient text because we believe these are the words of the one who created us. We believe these are the words of the one who loves us more than we could know. And here in Ephesians 6, we believe that Paul has for us what we need to navigate weeks like this and how we get it. So let's start by praying and asking God to speak to us because that's what all of us need. Pray with me. Mighty and merciful Father, we pray you would indeed speak to us this morning. Open our eyes, give us ears to hear, maybe some of us for the very first time. Some of us need to be comforted this morning, and I pray you would comfort us. Some of us might be complacent, Father, and we need to be disturbed. Would you disturb us? Father, we all need the same thing. We need to see Jesus. And so for your glory and for our good, we ask that in his name. Amen. We continue on um, in our mini-series of sorts on uh, spiritual warfare and specifically on the armor of God. A couple weeks ago, uh, newest pastor Terrence Little, he spoke about um, just the reality of spiritual warfare, that we are in a spiritual battle. He spoke powerfully on the nature of our enemy and the need to know God and his word in the midst of this spiritual battle. Last week, David reminded us of the glorious truth that the battle has been won, that the victory in this battle isn't incumbent upon us. We can't achieve it or earn it in and of ourselves. Jesus, because of his perfect life lived and his death on the cross and his resurrection, um, because of those things, we have victory. So we're going to carry on this morning. We're going to look at two more pieces of the armor. We're going to look at the shoes and the shield. But before we do that, we're going to kind of orient ourselves to where we are in the battle. So we're going to speak a little bit more to the theme of spiritual warfare. And then we're going to look at the shoes and the shield. All right. So where we are in the battle this summer, uh, one of the things... Liz and I have done with our boys is go through the series, The Band of Brothers. I'm not sure if you've seen it or not. Uh, It's produced by Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks. It's based on the book by Stephen Ambrose that has the same name, The Band of Brothers. And what this series does is it traces um, a particular group of soldiers, 
the Easy Company of the 101st Airborne. And it traces their activities from their jump training in Georgia here in the States. Then they make their way over to England. They're preparing for D-Day in Normandy, the invasion of Normandy. And it traces them throughout the major action in Europe. Every time I go through it, I'm struck by the power of leadership, both good and bad. I'm struck by courage and brotherhood. Um, but this isn't a time of entertainment review. Why am I talking about Band of Brothers right now in the sermon? It's because of this. As historians talk about World War II, they're mainly agreed on this reality that after the success of D-Day, after the success of the invasion of Normandy, victory was basically guaranteed. It, it was accomplished. Once that, that battle was won, it was all but certain uh, that victory was going to come. D-Day and the success of it meant VE Day or Victory in Europe Day was all but guaranteed. And you see that actually in the series, The Band of Brothers. You see these soldiers come to this realization that, hey, uh, the tide has turned. We're going to win this war um, against Nazi Germany. But they also realize this. There's lots of dangerous and difficult fighting still to come. Even though victory was assured, victory was guaranteed at that point, they still realize this. There's still lots of dangerous and difficult fighting to get to that point. And to some extent, in some way, that's where we are in the battle now. In our spiritual battle, in spiritual warfare, that's where we're at. Yes, we have an enemy of our soul. Yes, Christ has won the battle, but there's still difficult and dangerous battles to fight. Um, theologians will call this the reality of the now and not yet. All right, or the already and not yet. And, and you don't just need to be a cerebral theologian to care about that. In fact, every Christian needs to understand this reality because it helps us process um, the world we experience and what's going on in our lives. Like as we approach the new school year, it is very much a reality that that's going to be a context where the battle rages. There's going to be dif difficult and dangerous battles there in the school year. And we need to be sober-minded about that. They're going to go on inside our hearts and, and in our circumstances. So we can hold these truths in tension when we think about the now and not yet. Um, it's going to be difficult and yet we can rest and have hope and courage. In our school year, in our singleness, in our marriage, hey kids, when you're trying to love your brothers and sisters, you can know that it's going to be hard. And yet Christ has won and he'll help you. That's how you navigate life in the now and not yet. Adults, as you try to love your brothers and sisters, right? Because it's not like when you turn 18, it becomes easy to love your brothers and sisters, right? I'm, well, maybe it does for you. After the first service, someone was like, hey, Rob, is everything okay with you and your sister and stuff like that? Everything's fine, right? But it's just a reality. In all of these different contexts, our relationships with our family, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, these are all contexts for battle that we need to be sober-minded about. And they're also places where we can see God work in significant ways because Christ has come and he's going to come again. And we live in this in-between season, the now and not yet. And we need to realize that. We need to recognize where we are in the battle. And I might have some friends here this morning who... Um, Maybe you're not a follower of Christ. Maybe uh, you're investigating. And just talk of spiritual battles or cosmic forces. Uh, that just sounds ridiculous to you. 
And I can understand that before I became a Christian, I thought the same thing. I gradually had to come to understand that it actually takes just as much faith for me to believe in uh, strictly a material world as it does for people to believe in a material and a spiritual world. So uh, I would encourage you to lean in, ask us some questions. I'd be happy to meet with you about this, but we need to see this. We're still in a battle. There are still difficult and dangerous days ahead and we hear here in verses 15 and 16 um, what we need for these days and how we get it. When we talk about the shoes and the shield, we talk about what we need for these days and how we get it. Let's start with the shoes. Uh, I'll read verse 15 again for us so that we can all hear it. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, shoes for your feet. Uh, speaking of shoes, if you're on Instagram, you might know that there's a particular account called Preachers and Sneakers. All right, this, this account, you can go check it out. You can just Google it too, you'll see it. It is an entire account devoted to preachers and pastors and the extremely fancy and expensive footwear that they wear. You'll be shocked to know I have never been featured. All right. Um, <laughs> Uh, my favorite pair of shoes are my camouflage Crocs, all right? I love this because the guy showed up for the first time at the nine o'clock service and he was wearing some Crocs. So I was like, much love, all right? But you know what? Uh, preachers and sneakers, they probably really don't like Crocs, all right? Most people in my life really don't like Crocs, but uh, those are my shoes. Those, uh, when Paul talks about shoes, one thing that would have come to his audience's mind were the, the, you know, talking about armor, the Roman soldiers would have worn these shoes that had metal spikes on the bottom of them. Kids, if you're getting ready to play football or soccer, you know something like cleats, that they were like cleats. And the purpose of these shoes was because, as we've said before in the series, a lot of the combat in the ancient world, it's close quarters, it's, it's hand to hand. So if you fall down, it's game over. Right. And so being able to stand is important. And so Paul says to the Christians there in Ephesus, when it comes to shoes, when it comes to standing, what you have is the gospel of peace. You have the gospel of peace. And let's talk about this peace for a second. If I said, hey, how would you define peace? What would your answer be? Write down for me how you define peace. Paul's not talking about any kind of peace. The Greek word here is irene. And when we read that, we know they're speaking uh, of the Hebrew word shalom, speaking of this comprehensive peace of God. When, when Paul talks about here, he's talking about the peace of God um, that speaks to, to flourishing and wholeness. It speaks to... Um, how things were before the fall, before sin entered the world, there was shalom, there was a peace. It's not just the absence of conflict. It's the things are the way God wants them to be. That's what shalom and peace means. The gospel of peace we're talking about here that helps us stand, Paul's talking about that. And if you get a chance uh, this afternoon, let me encourage you to go back and read Ephesians chapter two, the earlier part of this letter, because Paul, when he's talking about Jesus, he actually says this about Jesus. Um, he himself is our peace. 
He says to the Christians in Ephesus, you know what your peace is? You know who your peace is? It's Jesus because he's removed the hostility between us and God. He's brought peace to this vertical relationships. He's reconciled us and God. And so we have this wholeness, this flourishing, things made right inside us and with our creator. So that lets us move into the world. It's funny when commentators talk about the shoes, sometimes they're divided um, on whether this is an offensive piece of the armor or whether it's a defensive piece of the armor. And and frankly, I think we can learn something from from both, right? Defensively, yes, they help us stand as the enemy attacks us. They give us a peace knowing that things are right between us and God. You say, okay, Rob, well, what? How does that kind of peace, that shalom, like what difference does it make in my life? Like in the week ahead, what differences does it make? Like when I go to school this next week and I realize none of my friends are in my class, like how does the peace of God help me out? Or when I realize I got the teacher that nobody wants, or when I realize I am the teacher that nobody wants, you know, like how does the peace of God enter in there? Uh, When I found out that I lost my job, um, when I'm sitting with my aging parent in the retirement home and it's just, I'm tempted to despair. What, what does the peace of God mean in that context? It means a few things. It means one, you are never alone. The peace of God um, comes by realizing that you are never alone because of what Jesus has done to bring you into relationship with God. Wherever you are, he's there with you. You know what the enemy of your soul does? He again and again tries to make you think that you're alone. No one else has done that. No one else has been here. No one else cares about you. Because of the peace of God, you are never alone. Whatever you're facing in school, in work, in your family, in dysfunction, you are never alone. The peace of God also uh, helps us see and understand we can have peace from, from realizing God can redeem any situation, any circumstances, no matter how bad they might be. We see that first and foremost in what he does with the cross, a, a tool of Roman execution. Even there, he uses those tragic circumstances to bring us shalom to bring us peace and so if he can do that with a cross he can do that with whatever you're facing and whatever I'm facing and there's peace in knowing that you're never alone God can redeem any circumstance there's peace there one more thing when it comes to peace there's peace knowing that the future is sure we we live in between his first coming and, and his second coming but with his second coming we know that brokenness will be no more he will wipe away every two here. And so we know that whatever suffering we're facing, there's an expiration date on it. The enemy of our soul would want us to think, you know, you're going to be this way forever. You know, this situation, it's going to be like this forever. But friends, um, this book makes it clear our life often this book describes it as a vapor or a mist or a breath. Even though we're overwhelmed by the circumstances of this week, this book promises us an eternity because of the peace that Christ has brought us with the Father, an eternity where life will be as it should. We will be who we were meant to be and we will experience the peace in eternity that we were meant to experience. So that's how the peace of God helps us stand 
against the enemy and in the midst of the battle, but it also helps us to advance the peace of God, the gospel of peace, the shoes help us to take territory, to advance. You know, David said that um, when Paul was talking about the armor of God, it's not just a Roman soldier that would come to his audience's mind. It's talk of the Messiah. It's a description of who the Messiah was, this armor of God, the, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth. Isaiah speaks of those things. And when Paul talks about shoes, those who knew Isaiah would also probably think of Isaiah 52, 7, which says this, which I wrote down here. Give me one second. It says this, uh, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, who publishes peace who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. That is, the Messiah is one who is going to come and with his feet bring news of peace and happiness and salvation. And so Christ shows up on the scene and he brings news of his kingdom. He brings news of his peace and then he sends his followers out to share that same news. So gospels shed, shed for, for readiness or shoes shed for readiness with this gospel of peace. That means we move into the spheres of our influence wanting this shalom, this peace to go forward. It's helpful for us to remember this. Whoever you are here this morning, whatever age you are, if you're going to middle school or high school, uh, or if it's been 50 years since you were in middle school or high school, and everyone in between and before and after. Um, it's not if you look for peace, it's where you look for peace. All of your classmates looking for peace. All of your neighbors looking for peace. All of your coworkers looking for peace. But as Christians, we have found where peace resides, in whom peace resides. People look for peace in bottles whether it's a drink or prescription pills. People look for peace jumping from relationship to relationship. People look for peace trying to acquire more and more, thinking that that will bring them what they, the, the rest and enter quietude that they long for. But ultimately, those things will fail them. Those things will fail us. Christ in Christ alone brings us peace. And so we can move into the world speaking of this peace that we've found in Christ. And not just speaking, we're called to, to bring about this uh, peace. Hugh Welcher, one of our elders, wrote a book called Reweaving Shalom. I would commend it to you. Just Google Reweaving Shalom, Hugh Welchel. We're those that are to be used by God to bring about flourishing. That's why Gene's talking about Esau, right? It's hard to flourish in a place where you can't speak the language. We want people to experience this flourishing, so we teach them the language. That's why we're packing meals for Haiti, all right? Because it's hard to flourish when you don't have food, and so that's why we're packaging these meals. Um, I don't know if it's dawned on you or not, but we're going to have a bunch of new neighbors in Fairfax, right? There's going to be refugees showing up in our communities from Afghanistan, and I, I don't care where you are politically on this. Christ has told us how we're supposed to treat our neighbors, we want them to experience the shalom of God. They want, we want them to hear of the one that brings true shalom. And we want them to, be, to have a reason to even listen to us because we've opened up our lives and our homes to them. And so that's the kind of church we want to be as a Capital Press family. That's the gospel of peace. That's the shoes that we've been given as a part of our armor. Let's finish quickly by talking about the shield of faith. All right. 
The gospel of peace gives us what we need for the battle. We need that peace. Faith, the shield of faith is how we get it. When we talk about shield, okay, kids, adults, we're not talking about a Captain America shield. All right, it's not a small little circular shield. That's a cool shield. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a large rectangular shield, right? The ancient author uh, Plutarch said that Spartan mothers, when their sons were going off to war, right? They would say what? Um, you need to uh, come back with your shield or on your shield. Right? It spoke about how big that shield was. And the shield was used to defend from the enemy, right? Sometimes they'd soak it in water. And Paul uses a rather graphic image. He, he talks about the enemy's flaming darts. So in all, in all circumstances, take up your shield that you might protect yourself from the flaming darts of the enemy. That is these arrows dipped in tar set alight and coming at you. That's a graphic image. The shield of faith. Why is it called that? Because every one of Satan's attack is meant to undermine your trust and faith in who God is. Every one of his attacks is meant to, to deceive you. He's called the deceiver, right? We see it in the garden with Eve. You shall not surely die. Um, we see it in the, uh, with Job when he, when he says to God, hey, if you let me touch your servant, he will curse you to your face. We see it with Christ when he tries to tempt him to bow down and worship him. Hey, I can offer you something more than your father can. Satan is always seeking to, to lie. When I sin, when, when I rebel, when I embrace brokenness and foolishness, it's because I'm believing a lie. A lie about who God is, a lie about who I am, a lie about how the world is, and often some of all three of that. And when Paul speaks of taking up the shield of faith, he speaks of remembering who God is reminding ourselves of who God is, trusting in our Father to take care of us. Um, maybe some of you have read the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. If you haven't read it, I would commend it to you. Uh, if you can't afford it, just shoot me an email. I'll send you a copy of it. But in that book, Dane Ortland, he's talking about faith and he's talking about our faith. And it's something we say here often. It's not the size or the strength of our faith that matters. It's the object of our faith that matters. Right, and when and Dana Ortland's talking about this principle, he talks about going to the pool with his two-year-old, and it's one of those pools that kind of has the beach entry, right? You kind of gradually walk into it deeper and deeper. And he says his two-year-old reaches up and grasps his hand as he's walking into the pool. And he says, as they move deeper and deeper, the two-year-old starts squeezing a little tighter, right? But as they get deeper and deeper, it's actually uh, it's actually Dane that squeezes his son tighter and tighter, and eventually. What's holding the situation is not the strength of the two-year-old. It's the strength of the father's hand, right? Um, the father's hand is holding so tightly that the two-year-old couldn't get away even if he wanted to. The two-year-old might think he's holding on tight and that that's what's controlling the situation, but it's the strength of the father's hand. That's something of the faith that we're called to exercise. In the midst of the stormy chaos of our lives, we reach with our two-year-old strength and take the father's hand knowing that he will hold us fast, that his grip never falters. That's what taking up the shield of faith means again and again. And we do that by turning to his word. We do that by turning to him in prayer. We do that by being in 
community with each other where we're reminded of the truth. Paul says, do this in all circumstances, no matter how bad it is, no matter if you're the reason for it being that bad, there's not a circumstance that you can't turn to him in. Psalm 88 is a psalm uh, where the writer says, darkness is my only companion. That's how bad things are. But notice still, he is turning to his God to engage with his God. Sometimes taking the shield of faith is just simply saying to God, this is as bad as I can imagine it being. I need you. We're called to take up the shield of faith. Um, Friends, Afghanistan, Haiti, the the personal catastrophes and challenges in our own lives, we were not created to handle this level of crisis. Right? Think about in our day and age how much crisis bombards you (laughs) in the media and in our daily lives. You and I, we weren't created to process that much crisis. If we're honest with ourselves, we don't really do a great job of processing the crisis that exists only within our own soul. But thankfully, there is one who promises peace. Thankfully, there is one who is peace and we can go to him. Church, we're called to put on our shoes, to know that it's the gospel of peace, that it's shalom that's found in Jesus alone that's gonna help us navigate this week ahead. Um, It's taking up the shield of faith. It's putting our trust in the Father that's gonna help us to get through the week ahead. Um, Jude writes a letter here in the New Testament and he speaks of this Jesus, the one where our peace is found. And I thought I would finish this morning by helping us remember what Jude says about this Jesus because it ties up all that I've been saying and all that Paul's saying. Friends, as we end this morning, hear the words of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless in his presence with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray for my friends here this morning and I pray for myself that you would help us to to experience your peace. If we've never experienced it, let today be the day that shalom invades. Let let today be a cosmic D-Day where Jesus invades our life, his mercy, his grace. If we've forgotten the peace of God, if we've thought it too distant or too far, remind us afresh, give us faith to in a childlike way, reach out and grab the hand of the Father this morning, knowing there is our hope for this week. There is our hope for my life and my relationships. We pray all this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.